Good morning. In today's headlines, Title 42 has been lifted. The COVID-era restrictions have been replaced with new rules that are already facing legal challenges. We talked to an expert. How will the end of Title 42 affect locals in border cities? A town hall in El Paso, Texas yesterday set out to answer that. Hear what panelists had to say. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is taking heat for suspending the right to shelter policy and Florida sues the Biden administration for its policy on illegal immigration. A major move from the APA for the first time ever, it wants to limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. An analyst weighs in on the proposal. And imprisoned by the CCP for his spiritual beliefs, one man finds the strength to fight back and inspire others with his journey. Good morning and welcome to NTD. I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Friday, May 12th. And it seems so much happened since we last saw each other here. Let's get our viewers updated. Tell them since what's up. Since yesterday, that's right. Overnight, Title 42 is officially been lifted. The Biden administration has replaced the COVID-era restrictions with new asylum rules. Migrants won't be able to get asylum if they travel through another country without seeking protection first or if they fail to use legal pathways to enter the U.S. The new rule is already facing legal challenges. The American Civil Liberties Union filed a lawsuit yesterday. It claims the rules violate U.S. law and international agreements. The group asked a California-based judge to block the new rules. And joining me now for more on the end of Title 42 is Todd Bensman. He's a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's also live at the border in Matamoros, Mexico right now. Good morning, Todd. Now, what's happened since midnight today? What are the changes that you're seeing? Well, in the area where I am, Matamoros to Brownsville, Texas, it has been very, very uh, heavily uh, traveled, illegal travel over the border for the last few days. However, the state of Texas, Greg Abbott, the governor, has moved in National Guard tactical teams to guard the riverbank, actually at the riverbank, and has been successful so far. Uh, that's been going on all day yesterday and all night tonight. Uh, so uh, right now, the immigrants are not able to get past the Texas soldiers. Uh, but if it weren't for them, they would be pouring in by the thousands right now, like they were in the days just before that deployment. I see. So it's 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 quite early in the morning still, but um, I see that it seems qu quiet at the border at the moment. Yes. So is that unusual? And is that, like you say, because of the soldiers that were deployed there? Yes, I do believe so. However, they are still crossing. Uh, just right over here, uh, but they're just running smack into the Texas soldiers and police. I, I'm, I'm not sure why they keep doing it uh, and getting the same outcome, but they just keep going and going. Uh, they are doing it right now as well. So, um, uh, and it is early here as well. So uh, a lot of people are still sleeping and when they get up, they'll probably try it too. All day yesterday, was this drama of uh, confrontations between the Texas police and authorities, not the Border Patrol. They're nowhere to be seen. They've stepped out of the field of battle 
completely. That's interesting. And so what information are the migrants receiving about the changes that are in place now? And what are they thinking? What's their reaction to that when you speak to them? The uh, migrants uh, are in a, what they're going to do is they're going to wait to see if the people that do get through elsewhere are being let in, if they're going to be let into the country on an asylum claim, uh, and then they'll go. If they are being let in, they'll go. Let's wait for a moment here if we get his signal back there. Back he is. Would you please um, repeat your last answer really quick? What are the migrants' reactions, and um, are they receiving the information? What kind of information are they receiving about the changes that are in place? They're going to be waiting to see what the first ones that get free today, what happens to them. They're just watching. Everybody's watching. What happens to the first ones? If they get in, they're going to, everybody here, there's 5,000 people here, will probably try to rush that border at some point or another. Uh, if they get deported and bad things happen to them, they end up back in uh, Mexico or whatever uh, with consequences, then the people here probably will stay and apply for humanitarian parole mm -hmm. under CBP, which is a whole other story, and that is an illegal uh, policy by the Biden administration is also under uh, legal challenge. That's right. Now, thank you so much for your first-hand account today. Keep us updated. Todd Bensman. Okay, thank you. And the GOP-led House actually passed a border security bill yesterday. It would pump resources into technology, add border, more border patrol agents, and begin reconstruction of the border wall. The bill would also impose more penalties for overstaying a visa and require employers to ensure immigrants are eligible to work in the U.S. It would also restrict what qualifies as a valid asylum claim. President Biden has vowed to veto the bill. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says it's dead on arrival. And now that for Title 42 has ended, we ask, how will it impact the locals in the area? Joining us now is Javier Palmaras, founder and CEO of U.S. Hispanic Business Council. Javier, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Tiffany. How are you? And with Title 42 now ended and the expected flood of illegal immigrants, how will that impact local small businesses and communities? Well, I certainly, you know, I've been calling for um, Title 42 to remain in place. I'm, I'm shocked that they would allow it to expire, but it is, that's the situation we're dealing with right now. Um, the local systems, whether that be the educational system, the judicial system, the legal system, uh, the medical system, and certainly local businesses are impacted in a variety of ways. Uh, the strain uh, is, uh, is unsurmountable. Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking to business owners, educators, uh, even elected officials uh, from the border. And, uh, and the story's the same. You know, the systems are uh, beyond uh, maximum capacity and the impacts are, are significant. Now, from a business perspective, uh, it is important to know that, you know, America relies on immigrant labor um, for a variety of industries, uh, construction, agriculture, hospitality, manufacturing, uh, in manufacturing alone, uh, manufacturing is about a $3 trillion industry uh, in, in America. And some 45% of the people who work in manufacturing are actually immigrants. So the impact um, of the situation that we have right now, where everything is kind of at a 
uh, at a at a at a, a sudden stop, and and we can't process the legal uh, individuals we need to get them into the workforce in agriculture, uh, in manufacturing. That has been an incredible strain, and every business person I'm talking to from south of the border. And now, you know, I like to say that now uh, every state is a border state because you're seeing the impact, uh, you know, in the agri agricultural sector. You know, we've got people complaining, housewives and, and families complaining about the cost of food, for example, the cost of vegetables. Well, you know, this is a $300 billion industry in America, and 73% of the people who work in those industries that harvest those crops that ultimately end up on the American uh, you know, a, a table, 73% uh, of those people are immigrants, but we can't process them uh, you know, legally through the system right now because everything's bogged down because of the backlog. Um, you know, Title 42 uh, was used over two and a half million times. That means two and a half million people were turned away. Imagine if we had not been able to use Title 42 we'd have two and a half more million people sitting on the border right now. There's already millions there. And the time to process them has grown from what used to be a handful of months at best. Now it's, you know, four years before they can get processed. So obviously we need Congress to get busy. Uh, we need uh, this administration to listen to fair-minded uh, people that are courageous enough to come forward with potential solutions. John Cornyn from Texas, Henry Cuellar from Texas, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, they've all come up with ideas that will help alleviate the immediate crisis and somehow allow us to continue to function uh, with some kind of normality. But right now, it's, it's a difficult time in, in America. And I think our Congress really needs to listen to the American people, certainly listen to American business and get busy and find a workable solution. Javier, as you mentioned, it sounds like every state is a border state. And Javier, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. And a panel of border security experts held a town hall in El Paso yesterday. The group talked with members of the community about the implications of the border crisis. And he's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. This isn't about immigration. This is about border security. That was the resounding message panelists sought to convey during Thursday's town hall in El Paso, Texas. Former Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection Mark Morgan says illegal immigration is not a victimless crime because limited resources meant to protect the nation's national security are pulled off the front line to deal with it. He says cartels exploit that vulnerability to smuggle drugs, criminals, and terrorists into the U.S. We've literally handed operational control over to the cartels. This is not about immigration. This is about border security. This is about national security. Morgan says the majority of illegal crossers sit down and wait for Border Patrol to come get them because they know they'll be released. That allows the cartels to operate freely while 90% of Border Patrol agents are processing them. But he says it's the gotaways that really concern him. Over 80,000 criminals trying to cross illegally have been arrested since Biden took office. And among the 80,000, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, and gang members, including 132 convicted murderers. U.S. Border Patrol Chief Roll Ortiz told the House Homeland Security Committee in March that there's been around 1.5 million gotaways under President Biden. The panelists say that number is now closer to 1.7 million. Former ICE Director Tom Homan says with the end of Title 42, Border Patrol will be even more overwhelmed and more agents will be pulled off the front line. It's about public safety, public health, 
in national security. Mark my word, I don't know how many terrorists have come across this border in the last two years, but someday we're going to find out. And it's going to be a bad day for this nation. Panelists said the most inhumane thing the U.S. can do for migrants is to have open borders. Our compassion has been hijacked. Our compassion is misguided. If you really have compassion for those looking for a better life, shut down our borders, secure them, and enhance and improve our legal immigration process. That's going to save the lives of immigrants, and it's going to save the lives of Americans. The panel members said if migrants are given hope that they'll be allowed to break the law and enter the U.S. illegally, they will sacrifice everything to try, and that it's up to Congress to fix it by creating more visa programs so people don't have to undertake such great risks. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Mayor Eric Adams finds himself in the hot seat. He is facing a wave of criticism for suspending New York City's right-to-shelter policy. The policy has been in place since the 1970s. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the ongoing immigration crisis. The move comes amid masses of migrants looking to cross the southern border in the wake of Title 42. Adams is facing opposition to his plan to begin busing illegal immigrants out of New York City and into other counties. The mayor announced on Friday that the city would send up to 300 single adult men to two hotels in Rockland County and Orange County. Congressman Mike Lawler said on Fox News that New York has realized that being a sanctuary city doesn't work when 60,000 illegal immigrants come. Now they can't stand the burden of it, and so they're trying to shift that to other municipalities. Lawler says Adams called Southern governors morally bankrupt for not communicating and coordinating with the city when busing illegal immigrants there. Meanwhile, he's doing exactly the same thing to these municipalities. Adams disagrees. He drew a distinction on Fox News between his actions and the actions of Governor Greg Abbott. We're paying for it. We're only taking volunteers. We are communicating with uh, the officials up there. The plan has been met with fierce resistance from county leaders who have declared a state of emergency and filed a restraining order. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, the former Marine who held a homeless man in a chokehold is being arraigned as soon as today. Find out what he's being charged with. And the American Psychological Association comes out with an advisory. It lists 10 recommendations regarding social media and teen health. That story after the break. A major move from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for the first time ever. It wants to directly limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. This may greatly impact the industry that's giving us energy every day. And today's Sean Marshall has more. The EPA has announced ambitious plans to limit carbon emissions from power plants. This may force these plants to use carbon capture technology. This technology would capture their carbon emissions, preventing it from getting into the atmosphere. In the entire world, there is currently only one power plant that uses it at scale. The Boundary Dam power station in North America. For everyone else, the technology is just too expensive. This may make it difficult for power plants to follow the EPA's proposal. There are two big factors. One is that the technology has to scale, and the other is that the carbon has to be stored. It has to be applied to all kinds of different power plants across the country. And the suppliers, all the people, how are we going to build all this stuff? 
Um, that has to happen. And again, this is a very short time scale for utilities. It takes years to do this stuff. Brett Bennett is a policy director at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Bennett says it takes millions of millions of dollars to build this equipment, which will be a big problem for power plants. And Bennett says storing the carbon after it's captured may be the bigger problem. What do you do with the carbon once it's captured, right? So you have to build pipelines and infrastructure to bury it, sequester it, is what they call it, underground is going to be really, really expensive when it comes to trying to implement this. Also, experts say this would raise energy prices. Brett Bennett, the energy expert we spoke to earlier, believes the EPA's proposal will be litigated and may eventually even enter the Supreme Court. Show Marshall, NTD News. The former Marine who held a homeless man in a chokehold will be arraigned on a charge of second-degree manslaughter. Daniel Penny was filmed as he and two others restrained Jordan Neely, who was reportedly displaying threatening behavior towards passengers on the train. The former Marine put Neely in a chokehold on the floor of the F train in Manhattan on May 1st, which allegedly killed him. Penny is expected to turn himself in as early as this morning at a lower Manhattan precinct. The decision to charge Penny was made by the district attorney's office in consultation with the New York Police Department. Penny's attorney said the death was accidental and not intentional. Neely was reportedly suffering from mental health issues and had a long list of prior convictions. A fund has been set up for Penny on Give, Send, Go to aid with legal expenses. It's raised more than $150,000 so far. Elon Musk has announced he is stepping down as Twitter CEO. He made the announcement yesterday on Twitter. Musk said the new CEO will be starting in six weeks. That person has not officially been named, but unconfirmed reports say the role will go to Linda Iacarino, NBC Universal's head of advertising. Musk said in his tweet his role in the company will transition to chief technical officer and executive chair. Psychologists are trying to understand how social media affects teen health. Growing evidence shows it has all kinds of negative impacts such as anxiety, depression, bullying and exposure to inappropriate content. The American Psychological Association has come out with 10 recommendations based on current evidence. Entities Colin Fredrickson has more. The American Psychological Association has come out with an advisory that includes 10 recommendations regarding social media and teen health. The psychologists say this is a rapidly growing area of research and that it's very important to many people. These recommendations include adult monitoring during early adolescence, typically between ages 10 and 14. The advisory says this is critical because teen brains are undeveloped and highly sensitive at these ages. Parents should routinely make sure their kids are not addicted to social media, that is, when they use it so much that it interferes with their real lives. Another recommendation is that teens go through social media training. A course on social media um, actually, you would need two courses, one for younger children and one for teens. But I think that that concept is a good idea. Um, however, I think it's very carefully monitored in terms of who is teaching it and what they are teaching. Dr. Carol Lieberman is a pediatric psychiatrist. She says if the social media companies themselves are involved in the courses, it will influence the content. Examples of courses can be found in the digital citizenship curriculum from commonsense.org. There are lessons for kids from grades K through 12. They address a range of topics, 
like privacy and security, your digital footprint, and relationships and communication. Courses are completely free and include videos, lesson plans, and assessments. Other recommendations. Parents should limit their teen's social media use so that it doesn't interfere with their sleep. Teens should try not to use social media for social comparison. The psychologists say this can lead to depression, especially among girls. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Coming up, a man is violently persecuted for his spiritual beliefs by the Chinese communist regime. See how he persevered and how he carries the torch for those still in danger. Welcome back. To persevere in the face of adversity, in our next segment, you'll meet a man who underwent brutal persecution at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party for his spiritual beliefs. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on Ju Feng Guo's harrowing ordeal. Electrical engineer Ju Feng Guo learned about the meditation practice Falun Gong in 1995. And at that time, one of my classmates in my uh, dormitory and he, he began to practice Falun and introduced it to me. He played often the music in my dormitory, and so I like this peaceful music. And after that, I began to practice Falun Gong. Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, is a spiritual discipline and meditation practice with moral teachings based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. After its public introduction, it spread rapidly throughout China in the 1990s. By 1998, more Chinese people were practicing Falun Gong than there were members of the Communist Party. The CCP did not like that, nor did it like Falun Gong's strong emphasis on high moral principles. It launched a full-scale brutal persecution of the practice in 1999. Ju Fang Guo was arrested for practicing in a park soon after and imprisoned in a forced labor camp for two and a half years. Guo experienced various forms of torture during his time there. We were tortured uh, uh, by the policeman with uh, um, electrical uh, baton, five hours and uh, he put the uh, electrical button on my neck and I closed my eyes and I have smelled uh, my skin is burned, yes, in the air. Guo says the guards put a mirror in front of him to force him to watch as his skin burned. Guo also spent long periods of time in solitary confinement. My, my hand was cuffed on a ring on the uh, floor uh, the whole day. I cannot stand up and uh, <clears throat> I didn't have also the water and food. Besides being chained to the floor, Guo also spent 100 days cuffed to another prisoner. He was thrown outside in freezing temperatures with no proper clothing. I was forced to, to do the work, the hard work with other people uh, at the same time. Guo exerted great effort in memorizing all the names of the people tortured and killed. His fellow practitioner Cao, who was eventually tortured to death, got a hold of a ballpoint pen. And I wrote uh, this, uh, what uh, I and other practitioner exper experienced 
on the toilet paper. After carefully writing nearly 3,000 words of testimony, a fellow prisoner offered to help him smuggle it out. All info was later published online for the world to see. Guo was eventually released after a 24-day hunger strike had him on the verge of death. He now lives in Germany and devotes himself to Chinese culture in his spare time. He does traditional line drawing, calligraphy, and shares pictures of his hometown-style cooking. Guo continues to fight the brutal persecution of Falun Gong practitioners. He has spoken at major events around Europe to tell the world what's happening, hoping that one day the Chinese people won't have to go through the same thing he has for his faith. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And Falun Gong practitioners around the world celebrate Falun Dafa Day on May 13th. Thousands are participating in a parade in New York City today. NTD and Epoch TV are live streaming the event starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So tomorrow marks the 31st anniversary of Falun Dafa being introduced to the public in 1992. It's also the 72nd birthday of Mr. Li Hongju, the founder of the spiritual practice. And you didn't mention that you are going to be in that live, so you can catch her and Kevin, Kevin Hogan, if you miss him, um, in, today, in today's live stream later on. <laughs> All right, we're wrapping up here. To, uh, that's it. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Tiffany Meyer.